This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's a privilege to, I'm going to introduce Dan Krauss and uh, those of you who don't know Dan, we are planting a church in the Muldoon area or the East Anchorage area and uh, they have been actually meeting a, a few times. Dan's going to say more about that. But um, he was, Dan was in residency here with us from, for about, I think it was five months, from October to, to March. And, and then he was at, at First Covenant for, for a month. And now he's, uh, what are you? I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> it's called purgatory or something. <laughs> when you're in between, you know. And... Um, but, but there's lots of, of things there in the future, and it's just really good to have you here again today. So, Dan, uh, teach us from God's Word. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be back at Community Covenant Church. In that five-month residency, I uh, uh, grew to know and love some of you, and um, not so much others. No, I, didn't, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I kind of realized, as I said, some of you, that it implied, anyways, all of you. <laughs> so... Um, it, was, it was good being here, and it's good to be back. And uh, we have lots of stuff going on at Chugach Covenant Church, uh, the church plant that the daughter church of Community Covenant Church, and good things are happening. Back in April, we had our first preview service, and uh, we were hoping that maybe we'd get like a hundred people or so. And we had 163 people at our first preview service, and it was, aw- it was outstanding. More importantly, we had several people at the end come up for prayer, and God is already working on people's hearts. Um, now, our next service, the, the next service we had in May, which was last Sunday, we realized that our April numbers were a little inflated because we had a lot of people who are coming um, from different churches that just wanted to be there on the first service to be a support, and, and that's good. It, it helps bring energy into it, and we appreciate that. So in, the, in May, we were saying, okay, well, let's, if, we can, if we can be at 100 people... In the May service, then that's, that's a really, really good start. Most, most church plants start with like 20 people. 
So we're thinking if we can be at 100 people in May, we're going to be doing really good. Um, and so that was kind of our goal. Well, uh, even though we were at 163 in April, so yeah, May. So last week we had 127, which it went down, but it didn't go down as far as we thought it would. So that was really good and encouraging. Again, we had um, several people come up for prayer and good things were happening. So very encouraging what's going on in East Anchorage and what God's doing in people's hearts. Um, it's making me suddenly very busy. On June 2nd, we have a wedding. Um, June 4th through 7th, I'll be up in Unilocles speaking at a Bible camp. June 9th, we have another wedding. June 10th at our next service, we have a baptism. So I don't know how that's going to work in the movie theater yet. <laughs> so I, I got to tell you, the, pers- the people aren't here, so I feel okay with this. The water's going to be really stinking cold. <laughs> so, and I'm not going to be standing in it, so... <laughs> So I'm actually pretty okay with it. <laughs> We're actually borrowing a horse trough from Change Point. <laughs> I, I couldn't make that up if I wanted to. So be praying for this person. Um, great things going on. The, the, um, I'm encouraged about where we're going. Uh, the truth is we have a lot of people already part, building up our core team who are coming, that aren't coming from any church at all. Um, I, I've, I've met several people at two, our, both of our services who I had never met before um, who, who came that, that weren't attached to any church. And that's awesome. That's just showing that, you know, the harvest is ready. And um, we're excited to be a part of that. But in that, we do need some more people who are able and equipped to teach and to serve even right away. So consider joining us June 10th. We would love to have you. Um, and that means maybe the salmon really aren't running yet anyways, Right. So what else do you have to do? You might as well come on to church on June 10th. In church planting, there are some dangers. In ministry in general, there are some dangers. But I would say in church planting specifically, we, we, we maybe uh, face it um, in, in maybe a higher degree. See, with church planting, we are very blessed as Chugach Covenant Church to have a church planting church, to have a denomination support to where we get some financial support, we get, I get coaching support. There's, there's lots of support built in, but there's going to become a time where we need to be self-sufficient and we need to be able to make our bills on our own. And in that, there can be a temptation to do and say things for the primary purpose of drawing a crowd. And if you're not careful, you could maybe even unintentionally begin to distort the Word of God you may, you may even use deception. And it's oftentimes not big, obvious ones. It's the small snares that get you. Since 2005, when I first felt called to ch- plant uh, a church at some time, I've been studying uh, three different areas I've studied. Uh, church planting, evangelism, and apologetics. Apologetics is defending your faith um, intellectually. And there's different um, disciplines within apologetics. Um, but in the last seven years I've been studying these, these three disciplines, I, uh, I've become influenced by several people. And uh, the college I went to, the dean of the uh, theological studies of the seminary um, was a kind of a hero of mine. He was a younger guy for his job, maybe late, later 30s, so for his job it was, he was very young. Um, he, he was becoming more and more, uh, his name was becoming more and more um, famous, he was getting all kinds of speaking engagements across the country and across the world. 
And one of the things people wanted to hear from him was his testimony. You see, his story was pretty incredible. And people wanted to hear his testimony. Well, as he began to tour the country and the world and and speak and speak and speak, his testimony began to change. Ultimately, he got caught in a lie in his testimony. He began to embellish his testimony. And when I'm telling you this, we can probably all see this is arrogant for somebody to think that I need to change my story in order for God to use me. It takes the spotlight off of Christ and puts it on ourselves. Now, I'm not going to say this, man, because I can tell you, I know enough about him to tell you I am sure that he absolutely loves Jesus Christ. I know he has repented since then, and I know he is still going in ministry. But this man who is very intelligent, a Ph.D. in apologetics, very intelligent, unintentionally, over time, stepped into a snare of distorting the truth in the name of evangelism. And it's a problem that happens maybe more than we think. And with the church plant, it can be very tempting because you are in the situation of grow or die. What's important is to understand who is the star here. Is the star the speaker or is the star the one that the speaker is speaking of? It can be very dangerous for even the best of the evangelists, even the very best of the preachers who love the Lord dearly. It can be very dangerous for some of us to step into a snare. In the scripture we have today that um, Ralph came and, and, and read for us in Second Corinthians chapter 4, we hear Paul giving a defense to some critics. Paul, one of the greatest evangelists of all times, one of the great, greatest apolog, apologists of all times, maybe one of the greater speakers. I don't know, I've never heard him speak. He, he was being criticized for things, and he's answering to his critics. And I want to look at this. Um, Therefore, since through God's mercy, this is in verse 1, um, we have this ministry. Now, I'm going to stop because I think we need to make a couple definitions. First of all, this we here. Who is Paul referring to when he's making his defense to his critics? Paul is talking about, obviously, historically himself and all those who are doing ministry with him. Make sense? That's we. Now, I was talking to Pastor Mark about this this week, and um, I'm going to steal. I'm giving him credit, so it's really not stealing. Well, his, his words here, his, his, uh, he says it's an invitational we. An invitational we. I'm not smart enough to come up with that on my own, so I'll take Mark. An invitational we, and I like that. In this, in this uh, section of six verses, uh, Paul refers to himself and the group that he's with 12 times as we, us, ourselves, and once as servants, just in a short period of time. And if we think of that as an invitational we, that through the span of 2,000 years, we are linked to Paul in ministry through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I want you to go ahead, as we're looking at the Scripture today, when we see we, us, ourselves, and servants, go ahead and insert your name there if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Because through the span of time, we are linked to Paul in the ministry through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then my next question is, therefore, since through God's mercy, we, 
us as followers of Christ, have this ministry. So what ministry is Paul referring to? Maybe it seems like a very simple question, and maybe it is. But I want to answer it in a couple of different ways. One way I think we could say is, the ministry Paul's referring to here is the proclamation of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. And another way I think we can say that is the proclamation of truth. Proclaiming the truth. We are linked to Paul in this ministry of the proclamation of the gospel. We are linked to Paul in this ministry of the, in the proclamation of truth. So what does that mean? The church, the capital C, which means all of us Christians, is the pillar of truth. I want you to picture a Roman building with the columns. We are one of those columns upholding truth. It is our job as the Christian church today in our world to be upholders of truth. And if the Christian church fails to uphold truth, the world has absolutely no hope at all. We are linked to Paul in this ministry of upholding the truth. Going on further in this verse, Paul says, we, again, go ahead and insert your name there, do not lose heart. Well, I saw that and I thought, what would cause Paul to lose heart? Why, would, what, why might Paul lose heart? And then what would happen if he lost heart? Um, and we'll look at that in a second. What would cause Paul to lose heart? Well, maybe, first of all, he's answering critics right here. So we know he's being criticized. Um, he's been imprisoned. He's endured beatings. He was even stoned. I should probably say something with stones. <laughs> I didn't realize that when I said it in my head. Um, <laughs> he endured shipwrecks. He endured friends deserting him. He, he endured, the Bible said, a thorn in the flesh that God didn't remove and he had to deal with it, probably some sort of physical ailment. And ultimately, he, he, had a, he was beheaded. I think we can find a lot of reasons for Paul to lose heart. And I'm thinking in that if we were in that context and we were friends with Paul, we might be tempted to say to Paul, Paul, stop what you're doing. You're going to get yourself killed. What good are you going to be if you're dead? Does that seem like a logical argument to make to Paul? It does to me. So this is Paul and the people he is doing ministry with in a historical context. These are some of the things that they were dealing with that might cause them to lose heart. What about us? Again, if we put our name there, we, Dan, I don't, I'm not going to lose heart. Well, what's going to cause us in our context to lose heart? We're probably not going to get beaten for upholding the truth. We're probably not going to get stones hurled at us for upholding the truth. We're probably not going to lose our heads for upholding the truth. But what would cause us to lose heart? And is it possible for us in our day to lose heart if we are upholders of the truth? First of all, I'd like to say, yes, I think it is very possible for us to lose heart. Now, the snares that we step into in our day that might cause us to distort the Word of God, to use deception, or maybe equally as dangerous, to keep silence. The snares that we might step into today may even be more camouflaged than those that Paul might step into. We may not see it coming. Maybe a loss of a friend. You may, you may, we may um, be overlooked for promotion. 
You may have family members who despise you. There are several things that may cause us in the ministry of upholding truth to lose heart, to distort the word, to keep total silence. I could go through and we could list names of prominent preachers that we have seen in the news and how they have lost heart or they have lost their way or they began to distort the Word of God or they began to use deception. But that's not the point of today. I don't want to sit here and throw stones at other people because I realize that just as they have stepped in snares, there are snares out there for all of us that could catch us if we're not careful. And we need to keep in mind, we need to understand that it is our job as Christians to uphold the truth. It is not our jobs as Christians to promote ourselves. As I said, I think one of the uh, bigger dangers that many of us in here may face when it comes to this isn't even distorting the Word, although that's a danger. Isn't really necessarily um, deceiving people by embellishing your testimony. And I say embellishing like that because It's quite an absurd thought, again, to think that God needs us to um, make something different than it actually is, as if He's not powerful enough to use our story for His kingdom. But keeping silence with the truth. Church, I think we've done a really good job at keeping quiet about things. And I think that's just as dangerous as distorting the truth. We are to be upholders of the truth, and if the church fails to uphold the truth, the world has no hope. So that's the first thing. That's our ministry here. I want us to understand that Paul goes on in verse 3 to 4 to talk about how the God of this age veils or blinds the eyes of those who do not believe. So that's the second part of this. I want us to understand that in our ministry of upholding the truth, we have a real an active opponent and an enemy who is always seeking to distort the Word, to deceive people, and to keep people quiet about the truth. It's easy to uh, become irritated with people who don't agree with us. It's easy to become frustrated with those who just refuse to see things the way we see them. And sometimes we turn to them and look at them as our enemy. Can I tell you something? Those who are people who are not Christians are not our enemy. It is them that we are trying to lovingly reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with the truth of the Word. And they have the same enemy that we do. And they are unaware of it. We need to understand that we have a real enemy who is seeking whom he may devour like, the, like a... Uh, a lion, the Bible says, who is here in this earth today. The enemy is not those who are not Christians. The enemy is Satan and the fallen demons. We need to, be un- we need to understand very clearly that it is our job to uphold the truth. We need to understand who our enemy is, and we need to be very, very sure that we do not give aid to our enemy. Using the, uh, Mark talked a lot last week about the veil, and using the imagery of a veil, as, as a veil is, is standing between oneself and the truth. Every time we, we, we seek to distort the Word, 
if we use deception or if we keep silent, it's as if we are adding weights to the bottom of that veil that's hanging over and making it more difficult to remove. And it's giving aid to an enemy that does not need our aid. We need to understand that in Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but spiritual powers of darkness. Our enemy is not the people that we are trying to reach with the message. Our enemy is a spiritual one. We need not to aid our enemy. We need to understand who it is and by what power that the veil can be removed. Think back if you were a Christian here. Think back to the time where you began to see the truth of the gospel more clearly. What were some of the things that happened leading up to that time? I can tell you for myself and my own experience that um, the testimony of other people was very important. And seeing how God was changing people's lives. And if you know somebody who's been changed uh, dramatically, it's, it's a miracle. So those are the kind of, that's the kind of, one of the kind of things that could um, begin to open our eyes and remove the veil. Also, Scripture, reading God's Word and meditating upon it, begins to remove the veil. Watching and paying attention to how God has and continues to work in our lives. One of the things when I was, um, several years ago, I was uh, discipled, mentored one-on-one by a friend of mine. And one of the first things he did, I may have shared this in here before, I'm not sure, but he, he got us a piece of paper and drew a line down the center of the paper. On the left side of the paper, he wrote uh, prayer requests. On the right side of the pra- paper, he wrote answered prayers. And we began to write down, when we met weekly, our prayer requests. And we began to really be careful to watch for the, the answered prayers. And over a course of a few weeks, i got to tell you, I became amazed at how quickly the right side of that paper started filling up with answered prayers. If we're paying attention, you will see, and we will see, how God is already at work in our lives. And that begins to remove the veil and show us the truth more clearly. Even nature itself, Romans chapter 1, even nature itself begins to show us the glory of God and gives us a brief glimpse of it that could lead us into the truth, or should be able to lead us into the truth. We need to understand, church, that it's our job to uphold the truth. We have an enemy who is on the prowl. And we need to understand by what power we operate, by what power we go out and we uphold the truth. It is the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Our power source is Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. And this is why Jesus needs to be the main figure in our story, not ourselves. How does our message change? How do we interact differently with the world when Jesus becomes the centerpiece of our story? That is where the power is. That is where Paul drew power to continue on in the face of adversity that he was standing and enduring. It's the same strength, the same power that we can tap into today to continue on. To continue on upholding the truth, regardless of what it may cost us. Because even today, there still is a cost. Our message isn't ours to distort. 
It's a message of truth, a message of the gospel. And that message does not belong to us to change. We have no right to do so. It is arrogant of us to want to change our story. And it ends up putting the spotlight where it does not belong. As messengers of the truth, we become servants. Servants to God and servants to others. Again, we need to understand that those we are trying to reach with the message are not our enemies. In fact, we need to become servants to them. So that they too may have the truth unveiled in their lives. Praying for our world. Understanding that our battle is not flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of darkness. Think back to your time of conversion. And you start to begin to see how there's been a spiritual battle going on inside of you. And maybe even going on around you. You're not alone in that. Every one of us in here who are Christians have experienced that. Every one of us in here who are not Christians are experiencing that and continue to experience that. Let's remember they are not our enemy. Let us show them the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And let us remember that the same God who made light shine from the darkness in Genesis is the same God who can penetrate the darkest corners of our soul with His light. That is the power that we are acting under. That is the power that we can tap into. Let me tell you, if God was able to um, shine His light into the darkest corners of my soul, if God was able to change me and to transform me, there is not a person in this earth that He does not have the power to reach with His truth and His light. Let us be encouraged that we don't need to distort the Word. We don't need to deceive people. We need to be upholders of the truth under the power of God. Who is the star of our show? The God of the impossible gives us strength to be more than conquerors. Jesus Christ, the image of God, this text tells us, the image of God, whose face showed the glory of God. He gives us... The, he is the God of impossible that gives us the strength to go on. To not lose heart. And to persevere. One more brief story. I was in a church in Michigan and um, we had a guest speaker, a very, very prominent name. Um, he himself hadn't really risen in the ranks of professional speakers, but his name was... Uh, um, one that would be well, very well known. And he just began his um, preaching career. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you his name, and hopefully he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> but it was Will Graham, Billy Graham's grandson. And, and he was coming to our church to speak at a men's conference. And um, there was a huge crowd that showed up. I think we had eight or 900 men at this, um, at this event for this to hear Will Graham speak. And a lot of us guys that went together, we were really excited because we had heard Billy Graham, we had heard Franklin Graham, and we're thinking, man, this guy is going to be awesome. And we were excited to go here and bring the Word and to be passionate. And i, I got to tell you, we got there and he started speaking, and I became bored out of my mind. 
I was seriously shocked, and I was in this in the in the moment. Honestly, I was feeling kind of let down. And uh, this guy again, he's just beginning his preaching career. I've heard him since then, and the guy is very good. I feel like I need to say that. But at the time, I'm thinking, oh man, you are not your dad or your grandpa, man. Just just sit down, you know. And and uh, the guys sitting next to me were all kind of like nudging each other, going, "Are you serious right now? This guy's boring." And he preaches and he preaches, and he went for quite a while. I think, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes or something like that. It seemed like, I don't know, two, three hours. But he keeps speaking, and it's very calm, monotonous kind of way, where his voice doesn't go up or down. And with a southern accent, which I'm not going to try to do, for the sake of all you southerners who'd be angry at me. But the whole time I'm just thinking, why? I don't know why this guy's even up there. And I got to tell you, at the end, he did an invitation. And the way he did his invitation was the same as I've seen it, but different in a way. And the difference was his confidence. And I noticed it right away. He invited people to come as if they were going to come. He invited people to come as if God's word that he'd just spoken was going to take root in some men's lives and they would come down. He wasn't confident in his pre- he wasn't confident in his preaching. He was confident in God's word that he was speaking. And I'm still thinking at the time, there's been some repentance by the way on my part, but I'm still thinking at the time this is going to be really hard when nobody comes up. That was what was going through my mind. He gets done with the invitation. And it was a very Baptist style invitation, you know, come on down to the front which is difficult when you have a room full of men that come there with their friends. It's difficult if you're the best speaker in the world to have men come out of their comfort zone and come down. And usually there's a song that's played, you know, and, and they're, they're trying to tug on your heart a little bit. And usually a lot of times I've seen these speakers who, when people don't come down right away, they start picking it up and really encouraging people to come forward. That's not what Will Graham did. He invited men to come down. He knew they were coming, and he stepped back and waited. And almost immediately, the front of this, the, the stage in Michigan there was full of men. We had something like 90 men out of about seven or 800 or 900 give their life to Christ. Boom, right there. And I got to tell you, I was sitting there feeling more convicted than I ever had before because I had missed something. Something that was so obvious. It's not the power of the speaker. It's the message of truth. Will Graham knew that, and he knows that. And I believe God's going to continue to use him in huge ways. He simply came forward, upheld the truth, and God moved in a big way. Church, you may not be called to be a, a, a Graham, but you're called to uphold the truth. And when we do, God moves in huge ways. If Will Graham would have distorted the truth that day and been a great speaker, I, I don't think things would have happened like they did. If Will Graham would have stayed at home and kept silent, I know they wouldn't have. It's our job to be upholders of the truth. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, First, I just ask that you forgive me for the times when I forget what it is my job is to do, to proclaim your message, to proclaim your gospel and truth. 
to do so in love. Understanding who our enemy is and who my enemy is and where the power of your message comes from. God, help us to be bold witnesses, proclaiming your truth regardless of consequence. In Jesus' name, amen.